change at MILB.com, but not for the podcast. No, no, not. So don't worry about it. People are going to worry that there's another co-host all of a sudden that's just going (laughs) to... It's a day of change. No longer are you subjected to Sam... No, not at all. Uh, Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. For it is I and for it is you who is is still here. It is indeed. Uh, Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, this week's episode, the 185th of the show before the show podcast from the brand new looking MILB.com. My name is Tyler. His name is Sam. And uh, yeah, if you go on right now to your computer, to your tablet, to your mobile device, MILB.com, fresh and clean and responsive and awesome. We got a brand new look on the site. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's all those adjectives you use to describe it. I think the big one is responsive uh, for folks. A lot of people thing. might not know what that means if you're not in the content creating business like we are. Uh, responsive just basically means it's going to look the same on your phone as it will on your iPad, as it will on your laptop. Right. Uh, it's going to move with the shape of the, the device you're using. So, um, yeah, it's going to look a little different, but uh, on your phone because, you know, Certain things are going to collapse on top of themselves, but the, all the stuff that's on the homepage now is going to be there on your phone, on your laptop, everywhere you take it. Um, so we have some cool stuff now. We've got a mixed feed that's going to be a lot of our stories instead of like the, these trending topics areas that we used to have. Uh, mixed feed will include tweets. It will include video. Um, all that stuff is going to be right there. There's going to be a leaderboard off to the side. Uh, there's also a top prospects um, thing right there that'll link over to MLBpipeline.com. That'll change as prospect rankings change. Uh, there's our stuff on Instagram. There's lists for Ben's Biz content. There's Toolshed content, uh, Organization All Stars, AFL, all here on the homepage, all responsive, all moving around, constantly updating. Uh, so it'll be really cool uh, to see what you guys think about that. A lot of this has happened on team pages already. Uh, so this might look a little bit familiar if you're constantly going to your favorite team's homepage. Um, but now we got this cleaner look on MILB.com. We're all very excited here uh, in the New York office and in our you know bureaus in the Rocky Mountains and on the West Coast. We um, are. It, it just looks a lot fresher, a lot cleaner, and it'll be a lot more user-friendly here going forward. Uh, but we are open to suggestions. If you guys see anything uh, that you would like added or some things moved around, you know, we're always taking those suggestions, and we pass those along to the people in the proper channels, but um, yeah, fun day to to get this going right now, and uh, all the fun stuff we'll be able to do with it here in the off season and going into 2019. And yeah, if you see, obviously, whenever you change over a site, there's some glitches, there's some things that'll look a little bit off. So uh, feel free to give us a heads up. Uh, Sam's on Twitter, Sam Dykes or MILB. He'll be taking all of your complaints. I'll take all of your <laughs> praise at Tyler Mon, Minor League Baseball's at MILB. You can also get in touch with the podcast, podcast at MILB.com, and share your questions and thoughts and comments and everything else. And uh, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. We are on iTunes, we're on uh, Google Play, we're on everywhere where you get uh, all your podcasting fun. And with that, We'll dive in on this week's episode, the 185th of the show before the show. We are coming to a close in the Arizona Fall League as uh, things wrap up. Coming up here pretty soon in AFL play. Uh, We're getting close to the championship game, and uh, we have seen a lot of really, really good seasons and a lot of breakout performances in the AFL. One of those guys... 
be joining the show coming up here in just a little bit. The ninth-ranked prospect in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, shortstop Lucius Fox, who as of yesterday uh, put together a three-hit afternoon and closed it within one hit of the AFL's lead in that category. He's got 28 on the season now. His teammate, Keston Hira, has 29. And Keston Hira is a name that we'll discuss in strike one of three strikes for this week's episode. Most valuable player in the Arizona Fall League, your pick for 2018, Sam, is who? My pick is Keston Hira. Uh, it's a good he's one. somebody who, coming into the fall league, we thought maybe next to Vlad might have the best pure hit tool uh, of anyone in this class uh, for this year for the AFL. And he's really come through and showing that uh, right as of right now when we're recording this, uh, he's hitting 326 with a 378 OBP, 539 slugging percentage. Um, is that as eye-popping as some of the other names slash line numbers no not necessarily uh but he has collected 10 extra base hits four of those are home runs guessing here as a second baseman not exactly the, the most powerful hitter uh you're gonna fall in the a- find in the afl he's not a vlad jr he's not a peter lonzo uh he only hit 13 home runs this year between class a advanced carolina and double a biloxi uh but as things stand right now he's got four homers in 21 games so he's adding that a little bit to his game also has seven stolen bases uh as you mentioned tyler tyler he leads the league in hits he leads the league in rbis he's almost like lapping the field on that uh he's got 32 peter alonzo is second with 21 i know we don't normally care that much about rbis anymore when we're judging individual talent but that's still telling he is a big run producer not only that he also ranks uh tied for second in run scored with 18 in his 21 games, uh, and I believe he leads, yes, he leads the league in total bases with 48, um, just consistently in the top five for a lot of these really big categories, counting categories. Um, you know, it, do I think he's pushed his stock further into, like, top 10 overall prospect category? No, not necessarily. Uh, here, being, you know, a college guy, being right now 22 years old, um you know, has a little bit more experience than some of these other guys in this league. He's certainly ready uh, to take on double A again next year, potentially move up to triple A and, and make the majors in 2019. So to see him do this, not a huge surprise, but um, I, I don't think there's been an impact bat as consistently week in and week out uh, like Hira so far in the, this AFL. Um, so he would probably be my MVP pick just because he's there in counting stats, he's there in average stats, all of that kind of stuff. Just as good as we could have hoped for Keston Hira here the last couple of weeks. That's my AFL MVP pick. Who do you have, Tyler? Well, sticking to my brand, uh, I'm going to go with Colorado Rockies prospect Tyler Nevin. Tyler Nevin has had a, an unbelievable offensive season in the Arizona Fall League, a 415 batting average for Tyler Nevin. Um, he is third in the league in RBIs, although that is, as you mentioned, very far behind Keston Hira. Keston Hira, by the way, with 32 RBIs, that's the first 30-plus RBI season I think since 2010 in the AFL, if I remember correctly, 2010 or 2011, which is pretty impressive stuff. But um, outside of the 415 batting average for Tyler Nevin, he's only played in 16 games, but the on-base percentage is one thing that really stands out. The slugging percentage is eye-popping. It's at 585. The on-base percentage is 529, which is over 50 points higher than any other player in the league. He's walked 15 times in those 16 games uh he has one of the lowest total plate appearance to strikeout ratio numbers uh with 14 plate appearances per strikeout it's just been a very complete offensive season for tyler nevin capitalizes continues on what he did this past season with class a advanced lancaster and the rockies organization and a guy who 
the Rockies would really like to see progress pretty quickly because he plays over at first base, was drafted as a third baseman, but the Rockies have struggled to find anybody to fill the spot at first base effectively since the retirement of Todd Helton. So if Tyler Nevin was able to bring himself along uh, and get to a spot where he can contribute at the major league level in relatively short order, the Rockies would love that. One thing that is kind of surprising about Tyler Nevin, 16 games, no home runs. One thing that is almost equally surprising, three triples for a dude who's listed at 6'4", 200 pounds, plays corner infield and is bigger than 6'4", 200. Kind of surprising to see the uh, the fleet-footedness of Tyler Nevin, but a, a really impressive season from the Rockies prospect. Yeah, and I, I, just to piggyback off what you were saying about the RBI total, just as I was looking it up while you were talking, um, but I was still totally listening. Don't worry. I, I'm a big sure fan of Tyler were. Nevin. Tyler Nevin is number two on my list uh, because of all the reasons you mentioned, specifically that on-base rate for him. Uh, but the last time there were 30-plus RBIs in the AFL – was in 2011, like you said. Uh, it was Mike Olt with 43 and Nolan Arenado with 33. Uh, talk about two third basemen who went up completely different directions from there. Uh, third that year with 26 RBIs was Bryce Harper, uh, who you may have heard has been in the news pretty a couple good, of times. Pretty good collection. Yeah, pretty there. good collection that year. Um, so, yeah, th- I mean, this is what we're always talking about with the AFL. It's fun to dive back into some of these rosters and see who exactly was here because it's usually somebody really, really good. Uh, so when we're talking about this being a good class of prospects, it's not just lip service. Uh, you're going to be hearing about a lot of these guys for years to come. Tyler Nevin, by the way, already getting a head start on the Coors stuff that he's going to hear throughout his career because he batted 429 with an 1153 OPS at Salt River Fields, a talking stick, and 364 with a 935 OPS on the road. So getting started with the hashtag Coors early for Tyler Nevin. Uh, Strike two this week, Sam, as we move along in episode number 185. Rule five draft is on the way soon. Uh, In the next few weeks in December, uh, we will hit the rule five draft, which means that the deadline for protecting rule five prospects is coming up. And you're going to have a preview on that. Give us a little sneak peek. Yeah. So the way rule five drafts work, um, because now it's that season for that, uh, is obviously players have to be protected on the 40 man in order to be eligible for the uh, for the Rule Five draft, you have to have. If you were signed 18 or younger, you have to have been in the the minor leagues for five seasons or pro ball for five seasons. If you were signed 19 or older, you have to be in there for four seasons. Um, so a lot of teams have to make decisions before next Tuesday. Uh, the November 20th is the deadline to protect players from the Rule Five draft. If they're added to the 40-man afterwards, they're not protected. I've never really seen that happen where somebody tries to sneak somebody onto the 40-man after the deadline, but still, um, that'll be the deadline for that. Um, so I'll have a preview more fleshed out this this Friday listing hopefully every Rule 5 eligible player uh, right now that is currently not pr- protected by their major league organization. Uh, there are some top 100 names that you guys all probably know if you've been listening to this podcast or following the minors for four or five years now. Uh, some of those are Mitch Keller, Dylan Cease, Jesus Sanchez, Kyber Ruiz, Adonis Medina, Franklin Perez, Michael Chavis, and uh, Bruce Argraterol. Um, so those are the top 100 names. All of those guys will definitely protect be protected. Uh, there's never really a worry about a top 100 prospect. Even if they're at the lower levels, you don't want the chance of somebody just like getting them and stashing them, uh, a la the sin. Uh, San Diego Padres a couple years ago who took Alan Cordoba out of rookie level Johnson City and just managed to get him a couple at-bats here and there in the infield and keep him in the organization for the full year. There's going to be a team, probably somebody like the Miami Marlins uh, or the Baltimore Orioles, 
you know, one of these lower level teams that are going to want to stash as much good talent as they can potentially get. Um, so, you know, they'll be keeping on an eye on who is going to be protected. Uh, we're going to have a list of every top 30 prospect uh, who is eligible, uh, still going through a lot of that now. Um, some of these teams are going to have some really difficult decisions. I can tell you that now uh, looking at this, the Houston Astros, you know, as I have it right now, five of their top 30 still need to be protected. That's already a very loaded uh, roster as it stands anyways. I mean, losing Marvin Gonzalez potentially opens up a spot. Uh, well, it definitely does because he's off the 40-man, but uh, how do they kind of finagle that and keep all the pieces that they've acquired these last couple of years? be interesting to see how that works. So also keep an eye out for some trades that might happen ahead of time. Um, I remember Ramon Laureano uh, a couple of years ago was traded because – Again, going back to the Astros, they could not fit him on the 40-man roster, and he was eligible for the Rule 5, so he gets moved to Oakland. Oakland protects him. Uh, made sense for both sides. That's just the way it works. And now Ramon Laureano is kind of like a, a stat cast uh, you know, a dream, essentially, with, with his arm and with the offensive adjustments he's made. And he looks like a really solid major league outfielder, so that you know, benefits the A's. If you can find some of these uh, guys who – will probably get tech taken in the rule five draft, but you can get them ahead of time. Uh, you can bet that a lot of teams will try to be making some of those deals before next Tuesday. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and again, this Friday's tool shed will cover pretty much every top 30 prospect who is eligible um, and will need to be protected for next Tuesday. One other note I want to make real quick is usually on Tuesday and we'll have a running list of this ourselves. Uh, teams roll it out at different times. Um, you know, not everybody's going to announce it at the exact same time who they protected. Some teams like to do it early. Some teams wait it out to see if they can make trades, whatever. Uh, so if they have not protected their players by like five o'clock, don't freak out yet. Wait it out. Wait until the deadline's actually here. Uh, sometimes they even do it in waves. Sometimes they announce like two or three guys and then they add a couple of guys later on in the day. Uh, Check back when the deadline is actually passed and uh, see you know who your team is protected, who's been left to the Rule 5, and we'll be talking about the Rule 5 draft you know, going into the winter meetings this year in Vegas next month. And speaking of trades, strike three is about a trade. Uh, seems like every year nowadays we get to a Tampa Bay Rays-Seattle Mariners trade over the offseason, and we already have one in 2018. Uh, a five-player deal from last Tuesday that sent outfielder Malik Smith and minor league outfielder Jake Fraley to Seattle, catcher Mike Zanino, outfielder Guillermo Heredia, and minor league left-hander Michael Plassmeyer to Tampa Bay. Um, Fraley is really the one who stands out in this deal for our purposes. Malik Smith formerly would have been, um, but give us a rundown of this deal. Yeah, so uh, you know when this deal happened, it, it wasn't a huge blip on my radar in terms of uh, you know Jake Fraley wasn't ranked in the Ray system. Ray system is obviously very good. We just named it you know best farm system. You know in 2018, in terms of had the best year from teams winning to having good uh, prospect performances to graduating prospects, all of that. They enjoyed the best 2018 season. The Tampa Rays. Tampa Bay Rays did. Uh, Jake Fraley, not amongst the top 30 prospects, didn't quite fit into our purview from there. Uh, neither did Michael Plassmeyer, who goes from Seattle to uh, Tampa Bay. So we tweet out the, the player pages and all that kind of stuff. But with the way Seattle's system works right now, Fraley might not be ranked there, but he's actually ranked number 21 in the Mariner system. So that gets my ears perked up a little bit. I got Jake Fraley on the phone the day of the trade. 
Uh, had a really fun interview with him for 20 minutes. That turned into last Friday's tool shed. Uh, one of the standout quotes that I did not use, but to give you guys a little behind the scenes, I asked him, I'm sure it's been a busy day. Uh, you just got traded. You know, everything's official now. Uh, what has it been like today? He's like, well, you know, it's it's still changing a lot of poopy diapers. Uh <laughs> So it didn't sound like much was really changing on his end yet. I mean, he still had to meet. You know, he got calls from the Rays officials. He got calls from Mariners officials, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of what is changing on his day-to-day this offseason, not much has changed quite yet. Uh, but what made him into somebody who the Mariners actively wanted, and that's what he said, you know, when he talked to the Rays, they all said, listen, during these negotiations, the Mariners really asked for you. They're somebody – you know, you are somebody they wanted back in this trade, and you should feel wanted because of that. And he did sound that way. He sounded actually touched by that message. Um, but w- what he was able to do this year, played 66 games at Class A Advanced Charlotte, um, really went from somebody who was a pretty good hitter at LSU, strong program, obviously, uh, had some injuries, had some stuff he had to deal with in his first two seasons, comes in this year, again, deals with some more injuries to begin the year, uh, which was unfortunate. But uh, you know, by the time he got hitting in the FSL, he was one of the FSL's best hitters, uh, as things turned out. In those 66 games, he hit 347 with a 415 on base percentage, 547 slugging, uh, four homers, 11 steals. He His best tool right now is his speed. That's something he's always said, you know, that's always been with him, but he wanted to be more than that. And the way he's been able to turn that around is a story we hear quite often nowadays with guys retooling their swing. Um, so for him, he met with somebody, uh, you know, a batting, a hitting guru down in Miami uh, where he lives now in the offseason with his family. And they worked on, you know, during his days at LSU, he felt like he could just kind of throw his hands at the ball, and make contact that way, and, you know, get the most out of his speed, and he'll pick up a couple of hits. But what he really learned in his first two seasons, you know, after he got taken with his 77th overall pick in 2016, was that's not going to work in the pro ball. I need to adjust very quickly. I can't just wait for the results to happen. I need to get on this, be proactive. Uh, So he started using more of his body. He says that my hands are the last thing to fire now. It's not it's no longer let me just get my hands on the ball and, and we'll make things work from there. It's making the legs work, making, you know, the butt work, making the core work, making sure everything else is in place. So by the time he is deciding to swing, he's getting everything behind it. Uh, And, and, you know, we're talking so much now about swing path revolutions and all that. And he even mentioned, you know, yeah, I look at my ground ball rate and I realize even with all the changes I made, that's still pretty stagnant. That's the next thing to come. So if you're the Mariners, you're excited about the changes he's already made that's made him, you know, he was a well above average hitter last year. In the FSL, he had a 172 uh, WRC plus. That was second amongst the 102 batters with at least 250 play appearances in the Florida State League. Uh, that's just behind Austin Listy's 189. Who Austin Listy is now in the Arizona Fall League, doing quite well for himself there. And just ahead of Alex Kirilov, who is in third. Alex Kirilov, our breakout prospect of the year. Uh, so if you're looking for somebody to break out next year, uh, I would put Fraley on that list absolutely. Uh, the speed's already there. He can play some defense in the outfield. If he can start turning this around, start to add a little bit more power to his game, get the ball in the air more consistently, uh, the Mariners are going to enjoy, uh, you know, a- another outfield prospect that they they desperately need in the state of their system right now. Uh, somebody made the comp in my uh, in my mentions 
after I wrote the story of, you know, the Mariners went out and got Mitch Hanniger a couple of years ago when he was kind of surplus to requirements with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, could really be the next guy? I'm not going to say they're comparable in that way of skill set and whatever, um, but the Mariners have done a pretty good job of identifying somebody like Hanniger uh, and getting the most out of them when they just seemed like a potential you know, minor league player, but not necessarily the major league tools were there. Uh, so keep an eye on Fraley uh, going into you know spring training, his first spring training with Seattle, and what he can do, likely starting at Double A in 2019. One foul ball um, news announced just a, a little while ago, according to several news sources and a uh, I guess an actual decision. Um, the Fredericksburg, Virginia City Council on Tuesday unanimously approved the development and shared use agreement with Potomac Baseball LLC for the planned $35 million multipurpose stadium in Celebrate Virginia South, as well as several related amendments, agreements, and ordinances. This would be for the Class A Advanced Potomac Nationals. Uh, we're, we're not going to discuss this with Benjamin Hill coming up later. We already recorded our interview with Ben, but it's something that we'll, we'll have to tackle because I think we've been doing this podcast now, what, five years? I think we've done this story. We've done the, oh, the peanuts are headed for a new ballpark conversation at least four or five times. This one appears like it may actually be happening. G. Richard Fitzner Stadium uh, has long been maybe the worst ballpark in minor league baseball, certainly since the demise of Bakersfield uh, and the removal of that city from the California League. The Fitz is not a place that brings to mind all of the greatest uh, feelings of minor league baseball when you think about the glamour of the minor leagues these days. So if the peanuts are indeed on the road to securing a new ballpark, uh, it has been a very long time coming for that organization. And uh, you can continue to follow that development as it goes along. Um, that quote, by the way, was from Fredericksburg.com. Don't want to neglect uh, crediting the, the story there from uh, Kathy Jett for the freelance star. Um, so uh, an interesting development in the Carolina league, which could see another new ballpark there as well. Um, that'll do it for this week's three strikes on episode number 185 of the show before the show. Coming up, I don't uh, hesitate when I say this is one of the most enjoyable interviews I think we've ever had on the show before the show podcast. Uh, Nassau Bahamas product and Tampa Bay Rays prospect Lucius Fox joins the show. And Lucius Fox has had a really interesting road to just getting into professional baseball, traded within his first year in professional baseball, now finds himself in the Rays organization, starting to make a lot of waves with a breakout season in the Arizona Fall League. And we'll catch up with Lucius Fox about his time in amateur ball getting into pro ball and a whole lot more coming up next. Heading back to the Arizona Fall League this week where we find the ninth-ranked prospect in the Tampa Bay Rays organization shortstop Lucius Fox, who's taking part in the AFL with the Peoria Javelinas and getting a chance to uh, be back in Arizona, a guy who started his career in the San Francisco Giants organization, now with the Rays and back in Arizona and tearing things up in the AFL. How has the fall been for you, Lucius? It's been awesome, man. Just having a lot of fun here with, uh, you know, the great group of guys we have here in the Peoria team. You know, just trying to learn as much as I can and work on my individual game to help me, you know, achieve my goals next year. Well, let's talk about this season and your time in Peoria because it's been a, a very productive stay. Yesterday, we're recording this on Wednesday. Yesterday, you had a three-hit day, and uh, you're within one hit now of the AFL lead so far, um, nearing now the end of the fall league season. Um, and to be down there and be part of that group, um, not only to go down and have the success and be among teammates um, – 
you know, from different organizations, but to be putting together such a complete campaign for yourself personally, what's the whole experience been like, uh, you know, since you got down there and getting a chance to learn from other guys and, and play against some really good competition? Uh, it's been a blessing, man. Honestly, from the first day the the Rays told me that I was coming out there, I was super excited. You know, this has been <clears throat> I've been watching the fall league on YouTube and you know the Fall Stars game in the past years, just hoping that I could get that opportunity one day. And when they told me, I was super excited, and I knew that was the opportunity to uh, you know just get extra at bats, get extra ground balls, you know, just more reps and. You know, that's the only way you can get better by game reps. So coming down there, I just wanted to take, you know, take the time out, you know, and uh, make the most of my opportunity. But as soon as I got here, meeting all the, the new teammates that I played against throughout the year and actually getting closer to them and watching them go about their day, how they uh, prepare for the game and even watching them in the game has been helping my individual game. And we're, we have such a great team here that it makes you play better once you're surrounded by so many great players. But it's been it's been so fun so far and, you know, can't wait for Saturday and hopefully we can win the whole thing and cap off this, this year I had this year and hopefully keep this thing rolling and go into next year in great shape and, you know, hopefully win a job. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Saturday. Uh, you guys are coming up. The Peoria Javelinas have already clinched your division, so you guys will be playing in the AFL Championship on on Saturday. But uh, uh, one thing I'm interested in is the way you've been able to turn things around. As Tyler mentioned, you know, you had a very strong fall league so far, uh, hitting well above 300, showing your speed all over again with seven steals and eight attempts uh, over 20 games so far. Um, but you were coming off at an end of the year double A Montgomery in which you were hitting just 221. Um, you know, part of that I'm sure is making the jump, you know, to to an advanced league like that. You're just 21 years old. Uh, but what have you done to kind of turn things around in the fall league? What have you been working on to kind of improve the offensive results? Um, get, uh, getting a double A this year, you know, I always wanted to, to, you know, I heard about the competition and the pitching and how it's better. And you always have to have an approach going up to the plate. But actually um, getting that call there and playing there, you know, you realize that it's different. It's not just your ability that will get you success you know you have to have a plan you have to prepare and all those things factor into uh you know having great a great season in double a and you know obviously in the big leagues but um my time there was i had some ups and downs you know i started off uh hitting the ball well and then once the pitchers you know found a weakness with me uh they started to to go there more often but as a hitter you have to make adjustments <clears throat> So the one month I spent there, I learned a lot, and I felt like that that helped me, you know, have a great uh, Arizona Fall League because the pitching is about the same here. You know, double-A, triple-A pitching is there too. So, you know, going there and learning about different approaches and what what I do well and, you know, just being patient at the plate. You know, uh, these guys are good, man, and the ball is moving everywhere. Everybody's throwing cutters, two seams, everything's moving. And you just have to be patient and wait for your spot and your pitch. Uh, don't be too aggressive, but you don't want to be too passive either. You know, you can't be afraid to hit with two strikes. So I just felt like the patience, my patience at the plate has helped me greatly in uh, the fall league. And hopefully I can uh, continue to learn. And wherever the race send me next year, whether that be double A or, you know, wherever they see fit, 
uh, I can use that to my advantage next year just by spending the last month in AA this year. Was it that patience you feel like you needed to learn the most there at AA, or is there any kind of offensive, you know, physical adjustments at the plate you've made to kind of connect on your pitch more often, or do you feel like it's just knowing that the stuff is going to be better? Uh, you know, you're going to see more diverse pitches, like you said, more moving stuff, more cutters, two seamers, that kind of stuff. Uh, is it just the patience you feel like the biggest adjustment you've made here in the fall league? Uh, yes, sir. Honestly, uh, you know, uh, as soon as I got to double A, I was, I was very aggressive and the pitchers saw that and, uh, you know, developing that patience, you can, you can take a pitcher's pitch and put it in play, but you might not make solid contact. It'll be weak contact, which is an out, you know, uh, <clears throat> you can have a great swing, but if you're swinging at the wrong pitches, then you're still not going to have success. So I felt like patience was a big part of it. And obviously, uh, with my swing, I have some adjustments to making my swing too, because, you know, the offensive player that I want to be, you know, I have to, uh, generate more extra base hits. So this off season, I'll work on, you know, some tweaks with my swing, but I felt like patience helped me, uh, with better results. Lucis, your baseball background is so unique and is a, a thing that you've talked about a lot, but people might still not be aware of necessarily, um, as you climb the ranks in the minor leagues, but, um, native of the Bahamas, moved and played high school ball for a little while in Florida, went back to the Bahamas, declared an international free agent, and you signed as an international free agent when you came over to play uh, in the professional ranks. Take us through your timeline of, of amateur baseball and how it got to the point where you sort of realized, like, man, I'm going to make some money and teams are really interested in me. I mean, I know you didn't play competitively in the Bahamas, uh, but being able to play in Florida and, and get some of that notoriety, at what ages did you come over here and when did you kind of start realizing, like, man, I'm going to be able to do this for a career someday. <laughs> Funny thing. Uh, I started playing when I was seven. When I first was introduced to the game at seven. But like you said, in the Bahamas, I really never like, played structured baseball. So I was just doing it for fun. I was playing a lot in the backyard. But when I turned 12 years old, uh, some uh, high school coaches and stuff and uh, scouts saw potential in me. And I, my family wanted me to get the best opportunity possible, so I moved to Florida when I was 13. I was in eighth grade then. I moved to American Heritage, and that's when I really, you know, felt like fell in love with the game and started practicing more, practicing every day, and playing more games and seeing better competition. And honestly, back then I thought, like, when I saw the the, the older kids in uh, varsity. I was I was so small compared to them. I was like, wow, if these kids can't go to D1, I probably will never go to D1 either. But <laughs> I was just looking at it. Everybody was throwing hard. Everybody was hitting the ball far. But once I got older and stuff, then I was I realized that I was better than them. But it took me. I think I was 15 years old when I felt like I can make an impact and I could play baseball for a long time. So that's when I really, you know, tried to take full advantage of my opportunity and I started playing summer ball with uh, Richie Palmer and South Florida Elite and that helped me a lot with my exposure and um, you know I just the first thing was to find a college 
So we found that college. It was NC State. I committed to NC State. And then from there, more pro scouts started coming to my games and watching me practice. And they're telling me that I have potential also. So I felt like it was about my sophomore year in high school when I felt like I uh, I could do something with baseball and, you know, help my family. When did you make the decision to to move back? I mean, obviously, the had you gone to college in the U.S., you're subject to the the Major League Baseball first year player draft rules and all that type of stuff. But being a native of the Bahamas, going back to the Bahamas, classified as an international free agent, you could sign younger, you could sign for more money. What was that process like to make that decision rather than going the college route to be able to go around that and establish yourself internationally again and go that free agent path? It was uh, my junior summer going into my senior year when things were heating up and I was getting more attention. And I was at Perfect Game National. I was doing the whole showcase circuit, uh, the East Coast Pro, the Perfect Games, the, the different tournaments. And my parents were sending me there. I was begging them to send me to those because, you know, you want to get as much exposure going into the season as possible. You want to be seen by as many scouts and, you know, just put yourself in the best opportunity to be successful. So, I begged them to send me there, and then later that summer after the East Coast Pro, uh, my my father called me, and he told me uh, that they can't afford the school fee for the school, American Heritage. I couldn't uh, attend a, a public school because I don't pay taxes there, so I had to go to a private school, and he broke the news that he couldn't afford the school fee anymore, and that crushed me. Like I thought that my baseball days were over <clears throat> because I felt like I was making like so many strides in the right direction. I was finally getting attention. I was finally, you know, I was committed to a college. I felt like I would play pro one day. And when he broke that news to me, saying that I had to come back to the Bahamas and you know finish school there, that it crushed me honestly. But I had an advisor at the time, and he, you know, he spoke to me, and he told me everything would be okay. Uh, just because I'm in the Bahamas, that means that you know I can't become a free agent and sign a contract one day. So I just kept my head up. I went down to the Bahamas, and that was the best move for me because you know I was I always had the tools to play, but I was very skinny and I lacked strength. So going back to the Bahamas, uh, my mom she cooked for me a lot, so I gained some weight, <laughs> and then. <laughs> I was in the I was in the gym trying to work on my strength, so I I went to homeschool there, so I had a lot of time on the baseball field and you know it helped me it helped me a lot uh, with my skills but I didn't play any games for that whole year and going into pro ball without playing games for a whole year I really you know my first year was rough because I had to get back into game uh, game shape you know taking round balls and BP you can't you can't uh, supplement a game. When you were uh, uh, over here and taking part in the, the showcase circuit, um, I feel like that dovetails in perfectly to some big news announced this week by Major League Baseball. MLB um, has announced the Prospect Development Pipeline League, which is supposed to start in June of next year and go until early July. And it's going to be a league in which 80 of the best seniors in high school baseball across the United States get to play in it, get to play against each other. And it's kind of maybe the first step 
toward Major League Baseball reclaiming some of that amateur apparatus in the game here in the U.S. Because, like you said, I mean, you played in the East Coast circuits. You played perfect game. You did all that stuff. And perfect game has somewhat monopolized the travel ball industry. And it's not easy. And if you're a kid who's talented, if your family doesn't have a lot of money, all of a sudden you find yourself on the outside looking in because those showcase events are hundreds of dollars per event. And it's it's not real simple to just go out and fork over this money with no guarantee that it's going to lead to anything. When you hear the news of something like this new league that MLB has announced, what does that do for athletes like yourself who maybe will have a pathway now that doesn't involve, um, you know, having to go out there and pay a few hundred bucks for every single event and maybe give these some of these uh, other athletes chances to get seen by scouts, get seen by college coaches and provide a, a pathway forward in baseball? That's awesome news, man. I saw that. I saw it on Twitter. I think yesterday or a day ago, and I was so happy for that news because there's so many kids out here with talent that scouts never see because of that. You know, they don't have the money to afford these showcases and these big summer ball teams and stuff like that. So I feel like that's going to help the game of baseball. You're going to find way more talented players that, you know, once didn't have that opportunity to attend those big showcases, and it'd be very, very, very helpful for the game. You know, there'll be more and more great players coming into the system and more and more great players into the major leagues. So seeing that, I was very happy, and it, it like, touched home with me because I was once that player that, you know, I didn't have that much money, but thankfully God blessed me to meet uh, Ricky Palmer, and he took care of me. You know, he would uh, help me. Uh, with uh, financial stuff that, you know, my parents couldn't afford. So he made a way for me. But for other kids, I'm so happy that they'll get the opportunity to show what they can do. And, you know, it just shows how baseball is such a great sport. And moving forward, I'm excited for the game. Yeah, and that that's us talking about, you know, your experience stateside. But moving back home to Bahamas, um, you know, you signed officially, according to your transaction page, July 2nd, 2015. Jazz Chisholm, who has been on this show a couple weeks ago, he signed July 5th, 2015 with the Arizona Diamondbacks. You signed with the San Francisco Giants. You guys both go to the NL West. Now you're both in the Arizona Fall League uh, right now. Looking back on when you originally signed 2015 to where things stand now, how has baseball, either its perception or the way it's being practiced, the way it's being run, uh, how has that changed in the Bahamas in these last three years since you first signed? I felt like uh, Jazz and I, we, uh, we were the first to uh, sign like a big deal or even a deal at all with a, like internationally. And after that, I felt like they, they made two academies on there now where kids are being seen by by uh, scouts more often and, you know, they're getting work done. Uh, they're doing the same program we did where we went to homeschool and go to the field at, like, 1 and work until 5. So it's a lot of hours being, uh, being on the field, but it's helping them. A lot of scouts are coming down to the Bahamas now. I felt like we made a positive positive mark and they you know they they realize that there's talent in the Bahamas because a long time they all everybody looked overlooked the Bahamas and to be honest with you we weren't never known to produce baseball players so you can't fault anyone but seeing that you know our talent what we bring to the game and uh it's a lot more on the island you know they really like uh paid more attention and I felt like we we just want to open doors for the kids back home you know, those, those same kids that don't have the opportunity to do what I did and go to high school, 
they can stay home with their parents and work on their game there and still, you know, achieve their, their dream of signing a pro contract one day. But it's growing, man. Uh, every year I feel like it gets bigger and bigger, and people see the bigger picture and more kids want to play the game. And I'm happy because the more kids, you know, channel their energy into positive things, the better the country will be. Lucius, what was the reaction from people back home who maybe weren't that into baseball but knew you and were like, oh, there's this kid and he plays this sport that people aren't really that focused on. Then all of a sudden you guys get these huge contracts. What was that reaction? Like, you got how much money to play baseball? <laughs> what, what did people uh, – what was their – what was the, the sentiment around that? Funny thing, everybody on the island either played basketball or they wanted to do track and field. Track and field was king. Everybody wanted to run 100 meters and be Usain Bolt. <laughs> but, you know, we would, people, like, we would be uh, to the baseball field. And, you know, people people knew we played baseball, but they never knew how serious it was and how it could change our lives. We always believed that, you know, one day we can change our lives and our parents' lives by playing a game of baseball. But people didn't see that on the island. You know, they had no knowledge of baseball. And, you know, they just thought we were just goofing around on <laughs> On weekends, but <laughs> actually seeing seeing a sign for this this uh seeing a sign and going into the system and seeing us travel the world and you know just playing affiliate ball and just you know seeing different things that we would never seen if we weren't playing the game. People are starting to like look at it and realize that this game is such a beautiful thing and you know if you put enough time and practice into it you can you know obviously make a lot of money but you know you can go to places where you would never been before and a lot of people are it wish they you know took the game as serious as we did so hopefully the kids coming up behind us will see see us and look at it look at us as an inspiration to you know chase their dreams and you know don't take anything for granted that would be really cool uh, one more thing I want to touch on in, in terms of baseball before we let you go. Um, you learned the business side of baseball pretty quickly after signing. Like I said, you signed in July in 2015. August 2016, you got traded from the Giants for the Rays in a trade for Matt Moore, sending Matt Moore from Tampa Bay to San Francisco. Uh, so you didn't really even get more than a couple months in the Giants system uh, before you're already on to your second organization what did that do? How did that trade impact you as a player, as a person? And what have the Rays done for you to help you grow as a player uh, here, you know, these two seasons that you've been with them? Oh, man. I, was, I felt like I was just getting familiar with everyone, with the Giants. And then I was gone. You know, so quick as that, you know, uh, you know signing for a good bonus and coming in, Everybody, you know, looked at me as like a golden child, and they 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 uh they took care of me. So I was I felt like the the San Francisco Giants was family, and I I would have never imagined that I would have been gone so soon. You know, I knew that they were a winning organization, and I knew that uh I paid attention to uh like the trade rumors and stuff like that, and I knew they needed a pitcher. But I never thought that I would have been gone so soon. Um, you know, after I got traded, you know, talking to different people. Uh, they they told me it was the business, but I really didn't take it too hard. You know, I felt like God has a, a plan for me, and he will order my steps in the direction he sees fit. So uh, I just uh, ran into Tampa Bay, you know, with a clear mindset. They welcomed me with open arms. It was a, such an easy transition uh, into Tampa Bay that, you know, it wasn't hard at all. Uh, they uh, From day one, 
I actually went over there hurt. And from day one, they they took care of me and they they um they looked at me as as their own. Like they signed me for all that money, so they took a lot of care of me. Uh, they on field baseball activity, they they worked me tirelessly. You know, from hitting to uh, ground balls to base running. You know, they just want to see. They just want me to be the best I'll be, and hopefully, I can help that team win <clears throat> and make the playoffs at some point. And you know the Giants will always be family to me because uh, they were the first people I met. That uh, I will always, you know, have them in a special place in my heart. But you know, moving on to Tampa is closer to home. My family will be able to come to the games more. And uh, you know, I'm just thankful for the, the fresh start I had. You know, I felt like with the Giants, um, you know, I got off to to like uh, a slow start. But when when I went over to Tampa, I felt like all the pressure and stuff was relieved off me, you know. I felt like I had a fresh start, and I felt like I can have fun and play baseball again. It wasn't all about business. All right, Lucius, we're going to get you out of here asking you some questions about a, a topic that I'm sure you have, you've had to address way too much in your career. When you first Google Lucius Fox, the first five results that come up are for Lucius Fox, Bruce Wayne's business manager from the Batman cartoons. How long do you think it's going to be before Lucius Fox, the baseball player, outpaces Lucius Fox from Batman? <laughs> Funny thing. As, as, soon, as soon as I signed, I made a Twitter, and everything on my Twitter was about Batman. I swear. <laughs> people, people was like, is this a joke? Is this, is this a real person? <laughs> So I I looked myself up on Google one day and I saw the character he would always pop up. So to find me, I would have to put Lucius Fox baseball. So I think I think I would I would have to make I would have to make a few All Star games before before I be ahead of that guy. Were you aware of Lucius Fox, the Batman character, before you signed and, and created Twitter? I promise you, I had no idea. Okay. I, promise I had I never no knew about idea it before, before the movie. So. <laughs> before I signed and made Twitter, I had no idea. But after I saw it on Twitter, I looked it up and I saw it. I was like, wow, I had no idea. I mean, it's pretty good to have Morgan Freeman play your name in a movie. That's true. I'll take that. But what's like the worst Batman related thing you've heard, either on Twitter or even at a game? Uh, somebody chirping at you from you know, the on deck circle. Uh, what's the worst Batman related thing you've heard related to your name? Okay, so you know, you know, like uh, the stadiums, like on the scoreboard, they'll have a picture. <laughs> they'll have your picture and your stats, your name, and all that. Yeah. yeah. We played in Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina against the Yankees, and every time I came up to bat, they would have Morgan Freeman's picture up <laughs> <laughs> next to my name on the scoreboard for everyone to see. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they did that, and more and more. Uh, more and more stadiums started doing it too. So uh, of course, yeah, everybody's got to be top would, <laughs> Right, one randomly, I would just go out to bat one day and I see Morgan Freeman's picture <laughs> instead of my picture. <laughs> Have you thought about like using the Batman music as your walk-up song? Like you've got so much stuff built in that you could do now. Right, like. I've been, I've been, uh, my teammates have been giving me ideas, so hopefully I'm saving it, I'm saving it for the big, uh, 
for the for the big day. Like when I get to the major leagues, I'll, I'll start doing all that. Big Good. league debut. Good. It'll be the the Dark Knight theme for Lucius Fox of the Tampa Bay Rays. Going to be some good stuff. And that day could be coming sooner rather than later. Lucius is tearing things up in the Arizona Fall League with the Peoria Javelinas who are off to big things in the AFL as we near the end of the AFL season. Kind of hard to believe, but we're in the closing days of the Arizona Fall League season. And Lucius right now in pursuit of an AFL hit title. One shy of that lead as we head into uh, action on Wednesday afternoon. Lucius, we can't thank you enough for the time, man. Thank you so much. Uh, congrats on all success so far in the AFL and elsewhere, and uh, we'll be watching this uh, this coming season, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you guys for having me, man. Uh, I I follow you guys a lot, and you guys have such great content, and I just want you to keep it up. We'll do it, man. You keep it up as well. Thanks. All right, thank you. Enjoy your day, guys. Fully into the uh, offseason of minor league rebrands, Benjamin Hill joins us to discuss maybe the most anticipated one of 2018-2019. Not a whole lot of surprises coming out of it, but Ben, uh, welcome. We are now in a sod poodle inclusive world. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, Sam, sitting to my right, I hope you are doing well. We got that out of the way early this time. We right. did. You know, I'd like to switch things up. Yeah. But you are doing well, I presume? I am doing well, yes. Okay. I, just and to I am from... on your right, and I am doing well on your right. All right. Cool. Both, I just both. wanted to... Let's just lost both, both, <laughs> both things confirmed. Um, so uh, here we go. The uh, Amarillo Sod Poodles, which, you know, when you uh, announce a team name possibility and somebody writes a song about it right out of the gate, you kind of feel like maybe that's the, the leader, the one that's got the inside track. And indeed, Sod Poodles, the name of the team that will take up residence in the AA Texas League in Amarillo, Texas, coming up in 2019. Uh, ben, give us the, the lowdown on the newest additions to the Texas League. Yeah, the Amarillo. I mean, we say Amarillo, but is it technically Amarillo? I mean, it's technically Amarillo because it's what the city calls itself. Yeah. But th that comes from Amarillo, which is yellow. All right. Yeah, I know. I always just feel self-conscious with anything remotely Spanish because I'm going to If you to want to do the rest of the podcast with a Spanish accent, I'm not going to stop it. Oh, I'm going to stop myself. <laughs> uh, the Amarillo sod poodles. Yes. Uh, Tyler, as you alluded to, I mean, kind of like with the Rocket City Trash Pandas, um, when a name the team contest is announced, uh, sometimes a certain name just becomes the clear front runner based on the reaction. And, you know, there was Bronk Busters, there was uh, Jerky, there was the Long Haulers, there was, uh, what's, the, what's the last one I'm forgetting, the Boot Scooters. Uh, they were all in the running, but as soon as the name the team finalists were announced, and this is back in late May, uh, Sod Poodles was the one that got the most attention right away. It's a slang for a prairie dog. I mean, you'll see a lot of people online saying, you know, I lived in Amarillo my whole life or in Lubbock or Abilene or wherever, wherever the case may be. I've never heard of that term. Um, that's not really the point. It was that we learned when it comes to minor league baseball branding. It doesn't have to be common. Uh, sometimes it doesn't even have to have previously been a thing at all. Uh, <laughs> this was – but uh, the team and Brandios who designed this, they didn't make up the term sod poodles, but they definitely grabbed it from somewhere from a position of um, you know, near obscurity <laughs> and uh, used it uh, as one of the options. And bam, right away, uh, sod poodles just got a lot of attention. And so I have my requisite story on MILB.com. You can read it now on our newly revamped website. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in that story, I talked to Tony Enser, 
who is the president and general manager uh, of the Sod Poodles. He came from Colorado Springs, which is part of the same ownership group, the Elmore Sports uh, ownership group. Uh, so he's you know been heavily involved in getting this franchise off the ground. And you know one of the things he said to me that really stuck with me was he just kept listing all these things that happened locally that were Sod Poodles based. Um, one thing we've mentioned on the show before, and perhaps most prominently, is there's a local songwriter named Carson, I believe his name is Carson Leverett, um, who wrote a song right after the Name the Team finals were announced uh, called the Sod Poodles Anthem. And it's very, very catchy, and I love that song. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's actually another Amarillo Sod Poodles song uh, by a country uh, country singer by Ed Montana. And uh, if you go to my blog, Ben's Biz blog, I wrote a complimentary post kind of rounding up all the Sod Poodles what I would call cultural ephemera uh, that occurred before the name was even announced. We have a Chick-fil-A um, sign, you know, a marquee that said chicken tastes better than sod poodle. I mean, this is the Amarillo um, Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, counterfeit merchandise, uh, sod poodles merchandise popped up almost immediately. There were unofficial fan pages creating their own memes. There was a local lawyer a uh, you know injury lawyer who has a and it's embedded in my blog post um, who who says something along the lines of you've been in a car truck or motorcycle motorcycle wreck you don't need a sod poodle you know you, you need me well, whoever <laughs> I am a Dean Boyd poodle. yeah yeah <laughs> you don't need a sod poodle you need me attorney Dean Boyd but you know he, so there, it was in the air there was a local bakery that uh, was selling uh, sod poodle cookies um, and, and perhaps most bizarre or just most unpredictable. Uh, the Polk Street Methodist Church, uh, Reverend Tamplin, uh, delivered a sermon called Sod Poodles and Mind Boggles, and that is embedded in the post as well. So I had a lot of fun just um, kind of rounding up this stuff, kind of based on my conversation with Tony Enser, and uh, it, it's the beauty of the internet. So much of it was online. And so whatever you think of the Sod Poodles name, and obviously there's a wide range of opinions, I mean, what is indisputable is how much it did resonate, maybe not entirely positively, but as we know with these things, what you want is something that resonates. The teams have confidence in themselves that they'll bring people on board eventually, but what you need is something that's getting people talking. And I'm not sure if I've ever seen a situation in which a certain name got like the community talking like Sod Poodles did in Amarillo and beyond, but especially in Amarillo. So it's uh, it's an interesting one. And uh, one thing I like about one of the logos is that there's three Sod Poodles in the logo. Because we think about how many na uh, team names are plural, but how often do you see a plural of what it is? You know, St. Louis Cardinals don't have that. a whole bunch of Cardinals in their logo. Uh, you know, to use the only example I can think of. Sometimes. They have the birds on the bat. <laughs> yeah, they have the birds on the bat. You know, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers were just announced. It's not like we have a a gaggle of woodpeckers or whatever uh, you want to call it. You know, the Clearwater Threshers are not just like a whole school of sharks. You know, which is Ideas too bad. The they should though, really Clearwater. Yeah. yeah, they should really have a logo of sharks circling, like multiple sharks. That one's free, Clearwater. You're welcome. Yeah. Or do it in the shape of a C, like three in a row. Yeah. They're, they're making half a circle. And like, Watch out. We're Brandy just giving else. out ideas here. We're starting here. our own company. <laughs> yeah. So that is an interesting element. And, uh, you know, you got elements of, uh, you know, it's red, white, and blue largely with, of course, yellow. Um, so a lot of these uh, – Colors reference uh, Texas state colors, but obviously the yellow is a mention. Uh, you know, Amarillo means yellow in Spanish when you pronounce it correctly as Amarillo. Yeah. And uh, so there is some yellow elements, including, uh, you know, the grass seed that um, 
is in the word mark and also uh, coming out of the prairie dog's mouth. You know, he's uh, but I was told that, that that's grass seed and that that represents sod. So the sod poodle oh. is, you know, chewing on some sod, um, which I believe is in the story, Sam, which I think you must have skipped that line. Well, yeah, well, no, um, because we talked about this when it first came out. It almost looked like a brewer's reference, even though there are Padres. Of it does look a little a little weedy. Yeah, yes. it absolutely does. Wheat and wheat E. Yeah, wheat E, not weedy. Yeah. Hey, hey. Okay. Colorado uh, Springs is next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a um, uh, one of the logos is uh, you know we uh, you understand you don't want anything gun related in uh, any minor league logos, but you've essentially then that means one of the logos is a sod poodle who looks like he's like quick on the draw, except he doesn't have a gun. He's just got a belt with Texas on it, and you know if he had a gun, I'm sure he wouldn't hesitate to use it. You know this is frontier country, but. Uh, He's just kind of play acting. <laughs> I will say we've had many a discussion, uh, especially off air, as to at what point we officially jumped the shark with team names and logos and all the craziness. Um, to have reached the point where a Methodist minister delivers a sermon that includes the quote, situations come up and sometimes they just boggle the mind. There are things we don't understand and we can't fully even comprehend them sometimes. Probably all of us could relate to the mind boggle of the recent news that Amarillo is going to receive a professional baseball team. The mascot is a little bit mind boggling. The fact that this trend has made it now into religious sermons, uh, I think is uncharted territory for the minor league baseball name craze. Yeah, and that's what I found. Uh, yeah, to wrap it all Amazing. up, that is that is what I found most interesting about this one, uh, just how much it permeated the local culture. Pretty amazing stuff. So, Amarillo, congratulations on your new team name. Sod Poodles merchandise is up now. Uh, you can buy the real stuff instead of the bootleg stuff, which, uh, you know, it's uh, some of it was actually pretty good effort. There was uh, there were a couple of logos that were actually drawn logos that were kind of clever. There was one that was just like everybody rips off the NBA slash MLB style of like a silhouetted graphic with red on one side and blue on the other. Uh, come on hustle a little harder amarillo but the real stuff is uh it's up right now and you can you can purchase it to your heart's content um let's move along to the latest edition of the uh the ben's biz series ben um put out uh, a story about the best ballparks and one of the uh, the best ballparks in that list could have qualified for this one um and i think it was a great um, choice to separate views as its own category which is the latest installment in this edition um from just ballpark or ballpark atmosphere or what have you. Um, so this is a really cool story that's up on the site right now. Ben's Biz, best of views at all six levels of the minor leagues. Take us through this group. Yeah, I mean, Tyler, like you mentioned, you know, the first one in the series was best ballparks. And it occurred to me, you know, what I can do a separate views column without being redundant with the ballparks. Um, I, I chose a whole different set of six and didn't even feel that conflicted about it, which is good. Um you know, I'm a city guy. I live in the city, live in New York City. Uh, but I did find myself uh, going with, I, I think, uh, for my favorites, some of the more natural surroundings. Uh, the article, you know, moving from AAA all the way down to Rookie, both uh, begins and finishes with the Wasatch Mountain Range in uh, Utah, uh, which is prevalent in all three of Utah's ballpark views. And uh, I chose for AAA, uh, Salt Lake Smith's Ballpark, home of the Salt Lake Bees, which is just a beautiful mountain view behind that stadium, which is funny because you're in a fairly major city in Salt Lake, but you have one of the most beautiful natural views you'll find anywhere. And uh, in Ogden, 
if anything, I think the views are maybe even a little better in Ogden with the same mountain range just because they're a little more immediate. <laughs> they they are uh, uh, in Salt Lake. They're more in the distance and it's a beautiful distant backdrop. Uh, but in Ogden, they seem like they're just the the mountains almost seem like they're directly behind the outfield wall. I was going to say, it's almost like they are the outfield wall yeah. in some sense. Yeah, I mean, they are very close. So I, I began and ended the story with those Utah mountain views. Um, you know, I, I, with AAA, I felt bad. I didn't pick Charlotte as one of my favorite AAA stadiums, and then I didn't pick Charlotte in the view story. So I felt they got kind of a short shrift because uh, that skyline view in Charlotte for AAA, they did get an honorable mention. And that was the uh, one I was kind of tipping the cap to because I feel like everybody now when they think about AAA views, they think of Charlotte. But Salt Lake is tough to beat, and Salt Lake, and eh, that view has been there for a much longer time. Mountain's a little bit older. They are. Well, we'll have to d- double-check that. I'm not sure which <laughs> came first. Sure. Yeah, just to just to make sure. Uh, but yeah, moving through, you know, double A, I, I chose Pensacola. You know, they're right on the water. Um, you've got, uh, you know, the uh, Pensacola Bay right behind the stadium, and and you know, Pensacola is such a uh, a fun town to visit with a uh, you know a, a very lively beach bar culture, and to be at a ballpark that's on the water and uh, get some fruity tropical drink. I mean, it, it all just ties in in Pensacola. So you got Pensacola Bay leading the Gulf of uh, Mexico in Pensacola. Uh, Class A advance going back to the mountains, but this time it's the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, uh, the, behind the ballpark uh, in Salem, the Salem Red Sox at Salem Memorial Ballpark. Uh, another excellent um, mountain view in minor league baseball in Class A. Um, I felt like this was a fairly obvious one. Um, this was the first one I asked you about. To make sure it was in here. Yeah, Sam was ready to be preemptively mad at me if I'd gone with <laughs> with, with, with something else. I was just I had the at button. He <laughs> did, uh, but went with Modern Woodman Park. Um, you know, which is on the banks of the Mississippi. They actually have an amazing flood control system in place, but that's neither here nor there. But you can read my story about it. Um, but the Centennial Bridge uh, spanning Davenport, Iowa, where the river bandits are located, and Rock Island, Illinois, uh, is located on the right field side of the ballpark. And at night, that is all lit up. And uh, you, know, you got the Mississippi River right there. And then, you know, I don't know if a view is something that's in the ballpark can sort of qualify as the ballpark view. But, you know, on left, so on right field, you have this bridge, uh, you know, across the Mississippi and in left field you have a Ferris wheel uh, which is in the ballpark but uh, especially at night when those are both lit up that's an amazing thing uh, and class A short season I went with the Brooklyn Cyclones I uh, got a little flack from people thinking it should have been the Staten Island Yankees with the uh, skyline view there uh, which I love but I do I've been to both those ballparks a lot and I feel in Staten Island it's no fault of anyone's but often at night it's kind of a little hard to make out especially if there's fog and I just found uh, the Cyclones a little more immediate because you still have the water you know, the beach and the ocean. But, you know, Coney Island is such a distinct place. And to have all the amusements uh, in view, you know, from the um, the uh, parachute drop in right field and then, of course, all these ro- roller coasters in center and left and then in um, far left field, uh, you can see in the distance the actual cyclone for, the, for whom the team is named after. So Yeah, and just to back you up a little bit on that, I feel like Coney Island does such a better job of placing the view within Coney Island. Like, it feels like a part of it. Yeah. Staten Island is like the view is yeah Manhattan all the way over there yeah isn't that cool like this just feels like such a more immediate view and something you're taking part in rather than just staring out 
uh, you know, across the entire harbor being like, this could be nice. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that's that's why I made that decision. And then, as I mentioned, in Rookie, we went back to the Wasatch Mountains and uh, the Ogden Raptors. So it was a fun one to put together. Got another one ru- running tomorrow, another best of story that will appear the same day as this podcast, uh, where I'm doing my favorite ballpark characters. At first, I was going to do a whole separate fan one and then a whole separate kind of like team employee one. But I was like, you know, I'll just combine it into one. So these are just uh, interesting ballpark characters. And uh, that'll be the next in the series and uh it'll keep rolling on from there it's been great to have reliable off-season content uh for feature stories let me tell you yeah do you have these all mapped out i mean how many of them are there going to be um i think there'll be at least one more after the ballpark characters um looking at ballpark quirks kind of like um, memorable architectural quirks of the ballparks and uh, i was thinking after that maybe not so much you know maybe a slight deviation but after that we'll be kind of finishing up uh new logo season and i just might do my favorite logos just in every single uh, every level mm. of play because if there's anything we know from doing this job is i think that's the one that'll get people talking the most so uh i might do that just to a uh, little clickbait for you but it'll be very well written clickbait <laughs> <laughs> the uh the season of rebranding does not uh slow down really from here i mean eventually it will but uh coming up next week uh, another team in the uh same ownership group as the amarillo sod poodles colorado springs formerly the triple a colorado springs sky Sox. next up the colorado springs slash rocky mountain whatevers uh they will have their unveiling coming up on monday and uh from what we've heard this is going to be a very interesting one yeah i think it will be and uh We'll be here next week. Uh, that'll be pretty fresh news, and we'll be uh, we'll be all over it. I know uh, everyone listening to this knows that we're the sources you can trust, and so stay tuned next week for yeah, that. That is true. Let me bounce this off of you. I've had this conversation. I think um, since we're so much in the weeds on this stuff, it's probably a, a conversation that really only applies to people in minor league baseball. But then for so long, when when this trend started, it was. No, oh, these these wacky minor league names, they're so over the top that they cause such a buzz and people, uh, you know, when they're so unique and they're so outlandish, people freak out about them for a little while and then everybody jumps on board and they all buy merchandise and whatever. With the fact that everybody now seems to be jumping onto this bandwagon and almost every team that rebrands is going after this this outlandish style of name and logo and they're all so similarly designed. Brandios has its style on so many things. Um, does that water it down at all? Are we going to reach a point where the pendulum swings back? And I know we've talked about this in kind of various contexts, but do you think we're going to reach a point where you know woodpeckers is relatively tame and relatively classic sounding uh by the standards of where we've gone with the names of minor league baseball teams is it ever going to get old are we ever going to reach the point where people go yeah it's not really cool anymore for us to go with this ridiculous style why don't we just go try to find something that's going to be timeless i think so because baseball is a very historical sport and uh um you know, you just look through the history of the game and there's just no matter what you're looking at, there's just different eras of the history. Um, so I don't think this is going to be the new reality forever. But I think when people like us and people on Twitter who are very tuned into this and it feels played out to them and they say, oh, Brandio, stop. And just with the whole industry, stop. I think, you know, and I've said this before, the one thing that uh, 
you forget is that at the end of the day, success in the local market is what means the most. Right. And the average fan is still not deeply tuned in to what the trends are. So it still works on a local level. Uh, but as we talked about, especially with the trash pandas, I think we are seeing a uh, higher awareness of fans as this goes on where they kind of know going in, oh, this is what minor league baseball is now. I don't know if that's like now the majority. I don't think so. But it's not the across the board just dumbfoundedness we used to see. So I think fans are getting a little hipper to it. But at the same time, I think it's uh, important to main, maintain perspective and realize that the local market is the main thing. And complaining about it as national observers or as logo obsessed hat guys or whatever you may be um, isn't really the prism or the lens through which uh, team executives look through this because that's um, at the end of the day not the most important thing. Personally, I don't know any logo-obsessed hat guys, but if I did, I would imagine <laughs> that they would be very into this conversation. So, so you, you don't yeah. know yourself? Is what I don't know. I've <laughs> never I've never met him. He seems like a very irritating guy. Hey. Hey. I know that guy. He's all right. <laughs> He's Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. He's got some stuff up on Amarillo there. You can check out that whole sermon in case you're so inclined. Uh, and the stories are up on the site right now as well. And, uh, Ben, we'll do it again for another one next week. We will, and and the week after that, and then uh, indefinitely until uh, from now until what. the march of time, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> I was gonna say death, but it just sounded too morbid. Yeah, no. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Final segment of episode 185 of the show before the show podcast from the new look MILB.com, which again, you can check out at, as you may expect, MILB.com. That's where the site resides. Um, Sam, the Arizona Fall League Championship game comes up on Saturday, and Lucius Fox will be taking part in that game for the Peoria Javelinas. Uh, he and his team have no idea who they'll be playing yet. Salt River, Mesa, and Scottsdale, who all comprise the East Division of the Fall League, they are all within one and a half games. Salt River leads that division at 15 and 13. Mesa and Scottsdale are each 13 and 14, a game and a half back. It's a barn burner in the East. Yeah, as I'm sure many people are following the AFL standings very so closely. Close. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, what the championship comes down to is these guys care about it because they want you know a trophy to take home and, and say they accomplished something. Um, for us, it's just another chance to watch these guys play. I believe the game's on MLB Network, um, so you get a chance to. Uh, it's it's kind of really outside of winter leagues. Um, it's the last game you know stateside until spring training. Um, so I encourage everybody to watch if you get a chance. It, uh, it starts at 3.08 Eastern time, so that's 1.08 local time on Saturday. Uh, cling to baseball as long as you can. You get one last chance this, this weekend. And if you're a person who is awake weird hours, the Australian Baseball League opens play tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday. Thursday, uh, the 15th, is opening night in the ABL. Two new teams in the ABL this year team comprised entirely of minor league prospects from korea baseball organization systems uh geelong korea is the name of that team they're based just outside of melbourne and the australian baseball league now encompasses new zealand uh auckland has a team now called the uh tuatara which is the name of a lizard uh in new zealand native to new zealand uh auckland that team this year is only going to play 
I think three home series. They're considering this a soft launch for the Auckland teams. They're only going to play three home series. They'll pretty much be a, a road warrior type of team for the rest of the year before getting a, a ballpark situated for themselves uh, permanently starting in 2019-2020. Uh, but if you're somebody who is awake weird hours, you can catch some ABL games online. Um, I know the ABL has signed a, a national TV contract in Australia this year, so they'll get, uh, I think, a, a handful of games each week, um, which means that not every single game is going to be broadcast on YouTube as they have been in the past, but uh, you can check out the ABL site if you're somebody who uh, enjoys that stuff. And obviously still plugging along in the the Mexican Winter League in Puerto Rico and Venezuela and Dominican Republic all that stuff is still going on um, to get you set for uh, the Caribbean series which is coming up before too long in January as well January February one of those um, so baseball as we say every offseason never stops but uh, your final stateside baseball of 2018 is coming up on Saturday with the Arizona Fall League Championship game and you can catch that on Saturday um, one thing that we should correct I said at the end of the interview because it's just boilerplate and I'm Ron Burgundy and continue saying the only five things that I know from episode to episode we're not actually going to talk to Ben next week I said Ben we'll talk to you next week uh, probably won't be next week unless something big happens an emergency trade or, or big news um, that comes out of Major League Baseball. We will likely not be recording an episode next week uh, with Thanksgiving. Sam is headed home. Uh, I'm a workaholic who is headed to a, another job on Thanksgiving next week. Um, so we'll. Uh, <laughs> you make we'll it sound off. like you're a hitman. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a job next week. I've got a job next week. Uh, no, I'll be traveling with uh, the basketball team for which I work uh, for uh, the Elgin Baylor Classic in Seattle. Uh, the University of Denver taking on three different schools, one of them Seattle University. I honestly did not know that Elgin Baylor went to Seattle University, and now I know. Uh, but we're playing out there in Seattle Friday through Sunday. thing I'm most excited about, I'll get to stop at Ebbetsfield Flannels, the flagship store in Seattle for the first time ever. Uh, and I could not be more pumped about that. So um, keep me in your thoughts because uh, I'm going to waste keep all Keep your wallet money. in our in – our <laughs> Yeah, keep keep my bank account in your thoughts because it's not going to be pretty. I should just bring an entire extra suitcase for stopping at Evansville Flannels. That, that still point. kills me that you have the flag – or you're going to be at the flagship in Seattle yeah. when it's Evansville Flannels, and yeah. I live a mile from the old Evansville. Like yeah. we're – why is the flagship not close to me, Tyler? You know, I think if they would have called it six stadium flannels, it probably wouldn't have had the same ring. I'm just saying home of the Seattle people are appropriating Brooklyn culture. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. How how used the city of New York is. It's never given credit ever on its own. It's not just the city of New York. It's the borough of Brooklyn. Everybody Enjoy wants Amazon, to be us. Though. Enjoy Amazon. Oh, you don't have to deal with it in Brooklyn, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, you're still, you know whole city's gonna get the whole you're getting all the benefits <laughs> all of it all right we'll, we'll save all that for our other podcast <laughs> he's sam dykstra i'm tyler mon we'll talk to you after thanksgiving uh in a couple of weeks we'll run down that colorado springs rebrand uh and, and a whole lot more as we get close to the winter meetings and points beyond in the minor league baseball offseason he's sam i'm tyler we'll talk to you then. <laughs>